Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. The original drone that I was flying, you had to like build the gimbal onto it, and you just didn't have all these like safety precautions. I, I definitely crashed like three of them before I was like, all right, I, I get how to do this. Food gives your audience an opportunity to experience some of the culture. Food is a major part of our lives. So when you travel and you take photos of food, you get to show a different culture. We actually got engaged in Switzerland. It was one of her first trips out of the country. You know, I was like, we can do this on the side. I can make some cool videos, do something with the YouTube. And obviously it's from there, it's taken off and become something completely different. What's up everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features world traveler Jevin Dovey. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Jevin Dovey. I wanted to have Jevin on the show because he is a true work hard, play hard dude. The way I met him falls into the woo woo, this is just too weird synchronicity category. I was following his travels around the world on Instagram and simultaneously my buddy Chris Harder said, oh, you have to meet my friend Jevin, you'll love him. I looked him up and I was like, no way. This is the guy I've been following, this is crazy. And I knew it was meant to be. He owns a video production company with his wife Rachel called Fit Life Productions. Think of it as a company that shoots exercise videos for the big boys. In this conversation, we talk about everything from how he balances his day job with Fit Life Productions with his passion for nonstop travel, how he grew his Instagram following from 30,000 people to 160,000 followers in less than six months, and how he gets most of his travel paid for. Be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and Jevin and let us know what you thought. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Jevin. Jevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. You know what, man? As a fellow traveler, I have been looking forward to this interview for some time. So thank you for making the time. Yeah, I actually just got back from a trip through Europe. So I came back a couple days ago. I'm a little jet lagged, but I'm good to go. All right. Well, hopefully uh, I'll be interesting enough where you won't pass out from the lack of sleep that you've had. You know, know, one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because you and your wife are actually doing what people dream about doing. And that is to take your passion for traveling the world and find a way to actually fund it. So I'm super pumped to dig into the details of it today. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. So I want to start with a little bit of background for those that don't know about you guys. I thought we would begin with some background where can you tell us where you grew up and how you would describe, let's say, your childhood? Okay. So I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, which is just south of Seattle. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And I've kind of always been interested in photography and filmmaking since I was a kid. So it's kind of something I've always been into. Um, I went to college for film school. You know, I got into the film world, but it's definitely changed from film school till now. What's where I've ended up and what I thought I would be doing. 
when I was a kid, I thought I'd be making major motion pictures, doing the whole big Hollywood director thing. And now I'm in the whole social world doing YouTube videos and Instagram. And that just didn't exist a few years ago. So it's changed yeah, a lot. It's it's so great. Well, try being born in 1966. I mean, like I had, that's when I was born. I, I mean, I had like a chuck wagon, you know, so things yeah. are absolutely changing. Did you, when you were in high school, did you think that you were going to be a videographer as well? Or did that change? You know, like most people as they're approaching college are like, I'm going to go be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. Uh, I kind of always had it in the back of my head that I was going to do photography or video. I've always just been playing with cameras and you know, I started super young in like fifth grade with my parents' high eight camcorder making little funny videos with my friends. And then, you know, high school, I did a little bit here and there. And then I was like, I'm going to go to film school. I'm just going to do it. So it's always been there. I had ideas of other things that I'd want to do, but that was kind of the main focus. Can you tell us the story of where you asked your wife to marry you and <laughs> why you chose there? Um, it's kind of a crazy story. So we had only. Just met probably three months prior. Rachel had actually hired me to shoot a video because she was the manager of a group fitness at a gym locally. And she hired me to shoot a little promo video, which she actually never actually showed up for the shoot. So I still did the project and she was like, you're awesome at what you do. Let's start a business together, shooting content, create a production company. So we actually were business partners for a couple of years before we ended up making it more than business. Oh, no kidding. So there was no romance there. Well, I mean, not not like technically anyway. No, there was no romance. We had a business. We had other interests and it was all professional. But then one night we just ended up together after partying all night. And we were like, well, we're either going to do this or we're not. And it wasn't so professional anymore. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you wind up becoming the camera operator for the city of Santa Monica? That was just a posting. I, I looked, I was looking for jobs and I didn't want to do stuff that was outside of Santa Monica. I mean, obviously you, as a filmmaker in LA, you take jobs all around the city, but I just, it's nice to be able to work closer to home. So I was looking for opportunities in uh, Santa Monica and that happened to be there was an opening and I worked there for, I think, two or three years. I never officially like left or got fired. I just stopped going because I stopped taking the jobs. So what is a camera operator for the city of Mon Like, What does a camera operator for a city do? I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Santa Monica has had a pretty decent kind of government channel where as a camera operator, we would go out, we would shoot like news events going around the city little puff pieces. Towards the end of my job working there, we actually had a full studio with like a green screen, all that. And we did some like in-studio shows. And my job, you know, weird. I was set up as a camera operator, but really my job was everything. I mean, when you worked at the city, you kind of did everything. You did audio, you did camera, you did uh, live switching, you did, I don't know, whatever the job demanded, we would be running a truck to do different events that would have like multi-cams. So there was a lot of things that we would do as a camera operator, which actually set me up for my production company because um, doing all the multi-camming and all that is something that me and my wife do a lot of. Um, yeah, makes makes perfect sense that that would be a great training ground for you. Yeah. All right. So move, moving forward a little bit, how did you find yourself doing a weed reality show? Weed, is it weed is in weed? 
Uh, it was it was a weed reality show. So being in LA, you meet people. So I met a producer. He had this project. He asked me to come along and shoot this reality show. It never actually took off and became a show. We shot the pilot. And this was before all the legislation was pushed through. So we were up in Washington shooting this reality show around a bunch of growers and going into their grow houses and doing all this stuff. And it wasn't legal at the time. So it was a it was fun to do and it was a, a look into that world that a lot of people didn't have a look into. It's unfortunate that the the project I think was ahead of its time because now I think it would have taken off a little bit more. But back then um, they never found a buyer and they just it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I'm sure people didn't want to touch weed back then. Yeah. It was uh it was it was interesting shooting just because we'd be like that we'd be in like this empty warehouse and they'd be like, come with me and they would like kick open like a panel and we'd go down into like a hatch and there'd be a huge grow house. We're like, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why people didn't want why production companies didn't want to buy it. Yeah. It was fun to so, do. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. So let's talk a little bit about your your current company, which is Fit Life Productions. Why did you guys start it and what is it? So FitLife Productions is a fitness production company. We understand that there, you know, when you go after a niche, you can have, uh, I guess, more success in the production world. So Rachel comes from a fitness background. She has always done fitness for everything. She used to work at Beachbody. She ran like all their test groups. So when you used to see like before or after photos for these different products that were out there, she would be one of the people running that test group to make sure they lose the weight. So she's been all over in the fitness world. And when it comes to the actual production side, she was brought on by the like main fitness director at the time to be like his right-hand man. And basically, she learned a ton about how to produce fitness videos. So when we met, when she hired me to shoot a little promo, she's like, you got the skills for the camera work and you understand all that. I know how the, the, the other side of the industry works. So we decided to make a fitness production company. And that's that's our main production company now. So I have a self-interested question. Did you ever... She worked for Beachbody. Did you ever shoot any of the P90X workout videos? No, we did. We have... They have their own in-house production team. Um, and so they do everything in-house. We've shot a few things here and there over the years where we've done like little things for them, but we've never done like a big production for them. And the reason why I asked that question is I had a friend who was actually in one of the videos and he was telling me about how grueling the day was that there was like a puke bucket on the side, uh, like people getting through it. Yeah. So I was just wondering if you had any color there. No, right. I, I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's a different type of production. We try not to, when we do ours, we try not to have puke buckets and force people <laughs> to work out that much. <laughs> yeah, that's an intense, uh, it's an intense program. Yeah. Okay, so tell me if I got this right. I kind of see this like you have two gigs. One is your day job of shooting fitness videos and the other is your travel vlogging. Yes. Okay. What are the ingredients to balancing the time commitments of both of these things? That's uh it's a, it's tough. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of work because it's basically like having two careers. Like I have two full-time jobs going on that I'm balancing between, you know, like when we have when we're in LA we're shooting fitness and then we try to take off and we shoot for two weeks when we travel and then trying to find time to edit it all in between. So uh, I, I work a lot is what it comes down to. <laughs> okay. So describe for the people, you, you described what the, what the business is for, for FitLife. Yes. What is the travel vlogging business? Is that a business 
business or is it just pure passion and the goal is perhaps to just get your business expenses covered? So it started out as uh, basically I needed an outlet to be creative. So when we're shooting our fitness videos, like it's we were basically just always shooting for other people and we're shooting a lot of content that was, you know, fitness content. It's not the most exciting stuff sometimes. You know, it's people just working out on camera. And I I've, you know, after a few years of doing that, I was really feeling like, you know, I was I was just I was just tired of it. I was like, I need to have some creative freedom. I need to do something different. So that's why I started the whole travel vlog. You know, travel is something I've always been interested in since I was a kid. As long as I remember, my parents have taken me around the world to different spots. So I've always been interested in travel. And I was like, you know what? This is something I can do on the side. I can just have some fun with it. Rachel hadn't really traveled much before she met me. And as soon as we got engaged, we actually got engaged in Switzerland. It was one of her first trips out of the country. You know, I was like, we can do this on the side. I can make some cool videos, do something with the YouTube. And obviously it's from there, it's taken off and become something completely different. So I've been doing the whole travel vlogging, YouTube, Instagram for about two and a half years now. And originally when I started, it was just tra- it was just vlogging. So just me talking to camera, going about my day. I was just kind of not the most exciting, but it was an outlet for me. And then now it's become definitely more of a business where companies are hiring me to come and shoot content for them to not only go on my channel, but to go on their channels and you know different things for them. So like last week, we were in Spain because we got hired by Royal Caribbean to go shoot an entire cruise ship experience to go on our channel, as well as give them a ton of content that they can use on their channels. So how does that work? What's that conversation look like? Is it, you know, the phone rings, you get an email from Royal Caribbean saying, somebody says, hey, look, I've been following your stuff. Uh, I'd like to make a proposal or do you actively seek it out? So it goes both ways. This uh, with Royal Caribbean, I got an email that said, hey, we want to work with you. And then we just got on a, a call. We talked it out and then they gave me a, a proposal of what they are looking for and you know, and all that. So there's other projects. Like for example, in the past, me and Rachel, when we travel, what we'll do is we will contact a ton of companies, whether they're adventures, hotels, rental cars, whatever you could think of that we would need while we're traveling. And in exchange for like a free stay or something, we will shoot content about their hotel or whatever. So, so you, it goes both so you ways. I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming to Barcelona. I'm going to be there for a week. This is what I do. Check out my stuff. I'll make you a video if you comp the night. Something yep. like that. Yep. Love it. Okay. So if you remember, what was the first international travel YouTube video that you ever did? Trying to think what the first one was. I mean, the first big one that we did was probably when we were in Thailand. We did two weeks and we shot. I shot vlogs almost every day throughout that. And throughout that trip, we had been reaching out to companies prior. So a lot of that trip was free hotels or free adventures. It was a kind of like a, a good introduction to what it can be. You know, it's interesting because I had, I had the idea 10 years ago uh, myself to do something similar. And I said, did you get a chance to look at the link I sent yeah, you? I was watching through okay. the videos. Okay. So, you, you know, that was, that was way back when. And at that time, there was only a company called Vimeo. That mm-hmm. was it. It wasn't even YouTube. 
So there just wasn't a platform for us to put it. Now it's all, you know, now it's everywhere. It's, it's all up. But, you know, there's tremendous opportunities for somebody that are willing to do the work like you guys are. And there's so many platforms that you can put your stuff out there now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more opportunity in this world now. I mean, if, if I, if this existed when I was a kid, I would be in a completely different world because I've always just wanted to create content and just shoot some cool stuff. And now people have so much opportunity to put themselves out there and they can create an entire career or a business out of just their passion, which I think is so cool. Yeah, it's amazing. So how many weeks a year would you say you're traveling now? We try to travel a couple weeks out of every month. Obviously, with FitLife, we get very busy. So like we had a very busy start to our year where we've been shooting a lot. So we haven't been traveling as much, but we're going to make up for it. And probably this summer, we're going to take off a month and go travel for my 30th birthday. That is so freaking amazing. And where are you going to be this summer? Do you know? So we were originally talking Philippines. We're that's where I want to go, but we're also considering maybe like Morocco or Vietnam. Like we're, I don't know, there's a few places in the air. We're looking at weather and how things, how the trip would look. But probably what we're going to do, since we're not good at going at one place and just staying in one place, is we're going to hop around. So we'll be moving to just a few different places over the weeks. So the question is that I'm going to get emailed is, I, I, I hear it coming because I had it myself. It must be nice. You guys aren't even 30 years old. There's no kids. Wait till you have kids. I'm sure you hear it too, right? Yeah. That's if we have kids. We don't know. And, and that, that, right. Right. So, you know, the, the truth is, I believe that you can do it with and without kids. Oh, um, you can. And, for sure. And you know people that are doing it with kids, right? Yep. So when we were on this Royal Caribbean cruise, half of the it was a group of influencers that worked together. We had a whole team mm -hmm. there and half of them were family influencers and half of them were couples like us. So, you know, it was families of like four that would be traveling. It, there's one mom in particular that she just travels with her kids and her husband stays at home and works. And so she is an influencer traveling around blogging. Uh, she takes the kids with her and then goes back and forth to home and her husband's in a different profession altogether. Love it. Yeah. What were some beliefs that you had when you started this travel blogging you know, gig that in retrospect were really uh, helpful to you? In terms of like, if I could go back and... Yeah. So in other words, you know, people who start any new venture, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have great beliefs about it. They're like, eh, I don't know. But you clearly, perhaps it was because you were raised the way you were raised from your family. You clearly had some beliefs that allowed you to say, I think I can do this. I think we can find a way to do this. Yeah. Was there any anything that comes to mind when you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if you do something you're passionate about, I just, I, I know that if you're passionate about something and you put the time and effort into it, you can turn it into so much more. And that's one of my beliefs that, you know, if you just put the time and effort into something and you actually care about, about what it is that you're doing, the money will come, the business will come. You don't worry about that. You worry about putting out the best content that you can. And then, you know, being that the world, like there are so many people doing this now in the world and there's so much opportunity, you could take a step back and look and say, oh, these people are doing this. You know, why can't, there's no reason that I can't do that. I can see what they're producing. I can produce the same type of stuff. I can produce something different. So there's, you just, you see that the opportunity is out there. And if you're passionate about it, then, you know, just keep moving forward. And it's going to take time, but I, like I didn't, 
had no idea how long it would take till I start making money off this. I was just doing it because I enjoyed doing it. Which is, it, it always seems to be the secret sauce. It's the ones that say, I, I, I would do it for free. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I love this so much. I would do it for free. And if I make money, I make money at it. Yeah. I mean, when I first started, I wasn't even thinking the business side of it. I was doing it because I wanted to create something creative. You know, originally, like, I wasn't started with just travel vlogs. I was doing, like, we would go on a trip and I would shoot the entire trip with no intention of what I'm going to do with that footage. I was just shooting because I love shooting. And then at the end of it, I would cut like a two minute sizzle out of it. You know, and then like two, two and a half years ago when I started the actual, my channel, then I was like, you know what? I'm going to start producing more content, have more of a, a purpose with it. All right. When, you, when you're out there and you're on the road, um, when you see others who are traveling, what do you think people pay too little attention to? And what do they pay too much attention to? Too little attention versus too much. I think people pay too much attention to like the details and they don't experience enough. You know, A lot of the times when we travel, we have a destination in mind. We have a few things that we want to do. But usually we leave the entire trip open to just figuring it out when we get there. And that's something that we love doing is getting to a location and just figuring out instead of having everything scripted out that we're going to go here this day, here the next day, we're going to go to this restaurant. You know, We sat on TripAdvisor and looked through the best reviews. We hate doing that. That's like completely outside of what we want to do when we're traveling. And it, you know, that's, we've traveled with other couples before. And there's one instance where... It was so bad that we ended up having to leave the couple within the first or second day of our trip that was supposed to be two weeks because they just wanted to... Everything had to be scripted out to the point where it's, you know, you would go to a specific restaurant, we're going to this waterfall, we're going to get this photo at this waterfall. Like it, it, it's too much. You just got to like take a step back and experience it because we have so much more access in the world today than we've ever had. And we have so much more knowledge of what's out there. So you should go out there and experience the world and not just have it pre-made for you. Pre-planned. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's such a it, it's such a funny story that you just that you just told because I know you get this a lot because we did. Yeah. And that is, hey man, I'm gonna take a trip with you guys. <laughs> and, and now you're like, fuck, no, you're not. Yeah. You know what I mean? We had an exact same situation where somebody had saw one of our videos and we were friends with them and and we're and they're and you know, we kind of broke the rule and we said, Okay, come with us. Yeah. By the fourth day in, they booked themselves a flight back. And I don't think that we've spoken to them since. And there's just, there's something that happens. There's something that happens with travel that's just different than anything else. When you're spending 24-7 with somebody on the road and dealing with all the stresses that are associated with it and how you do things and the kinds of hotels and what you just described, it really can screw something up. And I've seen relationships, just male-female relationships or, you know, of, of couples, let's say, that are on the road that, you know, they say, hey, I took a trip with somebody and, you know, that was it. It was the kiss of death. Yeah. You know, why do you think that is? I think your true colors come out when you are traveling because like you're saying, it's a very stressful activity. You're putting yourself in a situation where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the environment. When you're at home, you're comfortable. But when you're traveling, you're... You know, I mean, it, as if it's the most exciting and cool trip that you've ever done, there's still stress involved with the planning, the logistics, you know, the safety, depending on where you're going. Like, there's always something in the back of your head that you're thinking of. And I think just people 
really get down to their like base self and it, their true colors come out. So they, you know, if they're not someone who is set up to be in that situation, you're going to figure it out pretty quick. You know, I'll, I'll offer this to you. The flip side is when you do find somebody that's another couple that's really cool to travel with and it works, it's magic. Oh, it's amazing. So we were it's in, amazing. Yeah. When we were in Thailand, we actually went with another couple and we had the best experience with them for the two weeks. And we're like, we, we keep fig- trying to figure out when we're going to travel again because it was just, it was awesome. Like we just worked together. And then on this last trip in Spain, there is another uh, couple that are Instagrammers and we just matched with them very well. And we ended up hanging out the whole trip with them. And, you know, now we're like really good friends and we're just met on this, you know, one week traveling. I think you really find out who someone is when you're traveling and you really figure out if it's someone that you, are going to jive with and actually be friends with. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. We have a couple that we've been doing. We've done probably 25 countries with now over the last 10 years. And uh, our mutual friends, you're friends with Chris and Lori Harder, right? Yes. They came with us last year to uh, Greece. We did a couple of weeks with them. And, oh, cool. Uh, it, went, it went great. And they just rebooked again. So we're going, we're doing the month of July. You're going uh, to Greece? Greece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'll yep. book a ticket and come out there. Okay, well, if you guys decide that you want to you want to crash, we got a, a great crew. Some influencers are going to be there, and we're we're doing the month in uh, in Mykonos. It's probably too long for you to stay in one place, but but uh, I, I have a feeling dig it. Yeah, I mean that would be awesome. That's a place that we haven't traveled yet, and you know after talking with Chris, you know he was talking up Mykonos so much from his last trip. Uh, I definitely was like, we got to do it. So maybe we'll come in July. I would love it. so we'll we'll talk more offline cool. about it. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Instagram. Can you place us where you were when you learned that the Huffington Post named you and your wife top travel couple you should be following on Instagram and what that conversation was like between you and her when you when you found out? Yeah, I mean that was a it was a cool moment because Instagram was I think still kind of in its infancy at that time. It's become so much different from then until now. I mean, even back then, we had a completely different name on our Instagram. And Rachel and I had an Instagram together. We've actually now split up and we're now just our, under our personal names. But yeah, it's, it's cool to see that, to get recognized for that, even when we weren't like a big influencer at the time. And you know, we're put alongside a bunch of other influencers. I think there's 10 of us in the article. And it just it gave us an, an extra boost to be like, yes, we can do this. You know, we're getting recognized for this. And there's a lot of opportunity here, you know, just, you know, our little Instagram that we've put together has gotten some recognition. So it was a cool moment. Well, you know, you're being very humble now. So (laughs) a lot of our listeners are trying to grow their brands on Instagram and simultaneously grow their businesses. So what would you say is the playbook to grow, was the playbook or is the playbook to grow your Instagram followers from 30,000 to 160,000 as you have in the last six months? I don't know. Instagram's interesting because it's getting harder to grow your business now on Instagram. It, like the people that are big are getting bigger, and the people that are small are get, having trouble getting bigger just because of the algorithm changes. I think it was in the last couple months, even. You know, honestly, I the key with Instagram is to have a solid idea of what it is that you're doing and post content that only works with that. So I'm not going to post. You know, like our content on Instagram is awesome travel photography. And that's 
kind of you know what I go for is landscape photography. I put Rachel in it. I'll put me in it once in a while. But I'm not going to go in and put a fitness photo on there because it just completely kills the vibe of what the Instagram is. So the key is knowing what it is that you are doing and what you want to achieve with it and really honing in your look and feel to match that. And then the second part is be an, uh, be a person. Just be an actual person. Try. You have to engage with your following. Because the more you engage, the more you talk with people, the more you have conversations, the more that your followers will become active engaged, will become active followers. And then you'll grow from that because they'll share it or you'll get boosted in the Instagram algorithm, however that works. It's a complete mystery. But I mean, it's, it's being a person and it's having a, a, an idea of what it is that you want to do. Get into let's get granular on that. Are you a hashtag guy? Do you guys throw hashtags in there? Yep. So uh, I've been told so many things about hashtags, but I use thirty hashtags because that's the limit, and I put them in my first comment. And you know, on, on your analytics, I see that I get a little attraction from the hashtags, but it's it's not huge because there's so many people hashtagging now. Do you think it's worth it to hashtag? I because, think so. And, and- Here's why I ask it because I, I want you to say no. <laughs> because I don't want to sit there and ha- think of the hashtags that I need to think of. Yeah. Every time I put a, a, a thing up, and you know, I've interviewed a lot of people and it's so divided. You know, some people say, yeah, you know, I don't even put hashtags on it. So I'm just wondering how critical it is. I don't know how critical it is because I don't know how much you're getting from it. I, so what I do to make it easy on myself is I have a bunch of different chunks of 30 hashtags that I just have in my notepad. And I, they're more general. So I could just drop them on a photo and not have to worry about thinking about it every time. And then throw, like if you're in Barcelona, yep. just throw a couple of appropriate ones. Yep. Got it. So I just add the few location tags. And then it, you know I'll have one for sunsets. I have one for drone photos. You know, like Depending on what it is that I'm shooting, I just have a list of them. And an easy way to find good hashtags is look at people that are doing what you're doing and see what they hashtag. Mm, okay, it's a great idea. Yeah. So let's move on to video on Instagram. What are the key ingredients to make video on Instagram work? Do you guys do Instagram stories as well? Yeah. So all my video content on Instagram is in my stories. I try to stay just photos on my feed. Okay, so photos on your feed and videos in your story. Okay, so when you're... You're traveling, you know, let's let's call on average a week or two a month. Uh-huh. For the week or two that you're not traveling, if your focus is awesome travel photos, what does your Instagram stories look like? And and is it off brand at all? Does that make sense, that question? Yeah. I mean, it's so I think Instagram stories is an opportunity for people to get to know you as a person. And that's what you need to use that for is to get that engagement and get people to feel like they are a part of your life. So even though we're not traveling, I think there's a lot of opportunity that you find like a moment within your day to be able to be like, oh, this would be good for my stories or this would be a good way to bring people into what I'm doing for the day. Def- like Even if it's on set for FitLife, I will sometimes do stories to kind of show behind the scenes because my followers are interested in what I do on my day-to-day when I'm not traveling. Do you find that the people that are following you guys on your travels are also interested in fitness, photography, etc.? Um, not so much the fitness, but more the photography or filmmaking. I have a big following for filmmaking. I put out 
you know, beyond the travel vlogs I do, I've been putting out a lot more tutorial based stuff. So how to take better travel photos, you know, I'll, I get like products and I'll do reviews on it. So it's, it's, I've gotten a lot of people interested in what I'm doing who want to be travel filmmakers, but also just are interested in filmmaking in general and photography. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, people, people are engaged because they, they want to see everything. So let's get into the tech just a little bit. Cool. What camera do you use for Instagram, YouTube when you're on the road? So my camera of choice is the Panasonic GH5. It's a micro four thirds camera. It's a really good camera for video and it's great for photography as well. I've always been a Panasonic guy. Why? The, how much? First of all, how much is the GH5? It's around $2,000. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a very non-techie question because I know nothing about this. What is the significant difference between what you can if you're if you're looking at an iPhone X? Do you have an X? An iPhone X? No, I have an iPhone Seven Plus. I need to upgrade. Okay. So, but you know what the you know what the what the ten is, right? The iPhone Ten, obviously. What would you? Is there a significant difference between what you can do with a GH five versus a simple iPhone when you compare the portability? Um, because, and that's important, right? When you're on the road. And yeah, I mean, it depends on what it is that you're shooting. I try to shoot more cinematics content. So I need additional lenses to be able to put on the camera. I need the features that the GH5 has internally that the iPhone, it just, the quality and the kind of content that you're producing with an iPhone just doesn't match that. So you're using a much smaller sensor with an iPhone and even though the GH5 is a smaller sensor, it's still much bigger than an iPhone sensor and it has a different quality to it. And when you look at the videos. When you buy the GH5 in six months, do you feel like, oh God, the next one's out. Now I need this one. To a degree. I had that issue for a while where, I forgot the term people use, but it's it's where like every time a new piece of gear comes out, you have to have it. And I early adopter, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely fell into that trap for a little while. And I was always trying to upgrade, trying to have be on top of the newest trend. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you can use any camera nowadays, and all cameras nowadays are good because the technology has just gotten so good with cameras over the last few years. So it really doesn't come down to having to need the newest piece of gear. It comes down to what are your needs and then finding the camera that fits that. Do you find that the GH5 is too big? Uh, no, it's actually a smaller camera when you look at it compared to something like a Canon 5D or a, even the Sony's. Because it's a smaller sensor, the the glass, so the lenses are smaller. It's a great little compact setup that gives you professional quality content. And the GH5 is what we use to shoot all of our fitness videos. So I, you know, that's part of what drives what I shoot on because we have a lot of gear for our fitness videos and my FitLife productions. And instead of having a whole different set of gear, I like to try and keep everything in, in one world so I can perfect my skill with that camera. Makes perfect sense. Okay, so so now you got the GH5, you take the pic, you, you shoot the video. Mm -hmm. Does it go into Final Cut Pro for editing or do you do something else with it? Uh, I do everything in Final Cut Pro. I think the software has gotten le leaps and bounds when it than when it first came out. Like when for Final Cut X came out, it was a non-professional software. Now it has so much power in the hood and you know they they charge you one fee and they keep updating and they keep giving you new features. It's crazy. So for somebody that has never 
done anything like this before and they say, you know what, I want to up my game. I'm taking a trip. I'm going to, I'm going to take his advice. I'm going to get the GH5 and I'm going to get Final Cut Pro. How do they train themselves to use the camera and the software? Just go on YouTube and look for tutorials. So there's, yeah, I mean, that's one way to do it. The issue with YouTube is it's, there's so much content that you're going to get lost in, you know, all everything that's out there. So I personally, Whenever I have something new, like when I was getting into Final Cut, I found a tutorial that was like nuts to bolts, everything you can know about Final Cut in a course setting. And I think that's a key is when you have something in a course format, in like an educational format, you're more likely going to be able to figure it out faster and get ahead of the curve. Whereas, And then you go on YouTube and start looking for specific things that you want to do with your filmmaking or with the camera specifically, because YouTube's good for that. Got it. Because it, it's you can get little bits of information if you're like, I don't know how to do that. Yes. That you can get YouTube. But if you want a training and education, then spend the money and take a good course. Yep. And there's a lot of them out there. I'm actually working on my my filmmaking course right now, which hopefully will be out soon in the next few months. But I, you know, my YouTube, I have a lot of content that is like I said, single things. It's like how to do a hyperlapse, how to do, you know, how, what are the best settings for slow-mo with this camera? People are always asking me how to be a filmmaker. So I've been working on my own course to basically do, teach you everything I know in a course setting so you could sit down and learn from beginning to end. I think there's so much I'm more power be, in that. I am going to be your first customer. So do you do anything on your iPhone at all? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not... Someone who says like you can only shoot on the high end camera and get good content. I'm actually a firm believer that you know it's story comes first always, and that's you know one of the things that I think people like about my channel is that I try to put story first in a lot of my videos and not just worry about making something cool and sexy. So if I only have my iPhone, I'm going to shoot with my iPhone. I'm not going to be worried that I don't have my you know my nice camera is in the house. I'm going to go you know whatever's it in my hand at the moment I'm going to shoot with because story matters first. So I have no issues shooting with the iPhone. You can get awesome footage with it. Obviously, if you get attachments for the iPhone, you can get even better footage. They have like lenses and things. Just in general, I think whatever camera you have at your disposal, uh, you use to tell your story. If I could constrain you to only three apps for editing on your phone, editing videos on your phone, what would they be? Editing video on the phone. So iMovie, just because it's a basic video editor, I've used it before. I'm trying to think what I really use on my phone because I always pull things into my computer. So Okay, so, so that, but that's the answer, right? It yeah. comes off your phone, goes into your computer, and then into Final Cut. So the, uh, the other apps I use outside of iMovie on my phone, I've only done it a few times when I didn't have access to a computer. When I use 360 cameras, I use their software to basically construct my 360 video, and then I send it to my computer to be put in the timeline. Got yeah. it. And the reason why I ask you about apps is a lot of people who are listening are trying to grow Instagram, right? Yep. So they're doing Instagram stories and things like that, and they're trying to edit them. So I didn't know if there was any particular you know, Instagram-related apps that come it's to mind. It's so much easier to do on your computer. Like it just makes you can do so much more. And, you know, I like for this last trip, we were just on Royal Caribbean. One of the things we had to do was an Instagram takeover one of the days. And instead of shooting everything on my phone and just doing like the little graphics you can in Instagram, I cut it all on my computer. I built frames in Photoshop so that it has a more engaging quality to it rather than just 
you know, the full frame videos. There's so much you can do with video in the vertical format that people just aren't embracing yet. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about how living with the camera has affected your life. Can you tell me, was there a particular time where you felt like you shared too much of your personal life with people online? Yeah. uh, I guess when you first start vlogging, like when I first started, I was just shooting every day as much as I can and just trying to create content out of it. Because that's kind of the trap you get into when you start vlogging is, I need to shoot it every day. And so yeah, there's definitely a a period where it just it was too much. And it just kind of like was wearing me down in everything else because I always had a camera on. I was always using it outside of my work. I was just shooting. And then when I wasn't working or shooting, I was editing at night. And yeah, it, it wears on you after a while. I don't I don't know how daily vloggers do it for huge periods of time because it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, you don't have a life at that point. You're just working all the time. You know, I found that like when I do trips, I will do specific days where I'm like, I'm going to do a vlog for today, or I'm going to do a bigger wrap up video that kind of is more of a documentary than it is a you know travel vlog. Just follow me. Do you guys have any systems or agreements that are in place with each other to turn off while you're? You know, let's say uh, I saw on your your Instagram that you were in Barcelona recently, and you know Barcelona is a beautiful place, right? We just booked it, and we're gonna we're, we're going in a couple of months, which I'm gonna need to reach out to you get some tips. But that's oh, amazing. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm excited about it. But you know, is there a point where you know your wife is looking at you and she's like, "Dude, let's just let's have some tapas, let's have a glass of wine, put the camera down." Like, how do you guys navigate that? Well, she gives me a look. <laughs> now i know you've been mad yeah right uh you know recently it's we've we've come to an agreement now where it's you know i up front i'll be like hey today we're gonna vlog you know this is what i think we're gonna do for the day and then there's no issues you know before we'd be traveling and i would be shooting all the time and then she would get upset and tell me to put the camera down because yeah when you're when you're a filmmaker, you're always thinking story. And you're like, how can I capture this? How can I make this look cooler? And you kind of get you get wound up in that world, and you kind of forget about what it is that you're doing. And you know, I've I've definitely taken a step back from that and just being more conscious about what it is that I'm doing and when I'm doing it. So if I'm going to vlog for the day, like we were in Barcelona for three days after our Royal Caribbean trip, and I was like, I want to shoot a video that's 48 hours in Barcelona. So I kind of picked moments throughout two days that I wanted to shoot. And then the rest of it, I just threw the camera in the backpack and we enjoyed tapas and walked around the city. Switching the tasks are not easy because once, like you like you just described, once you're in it, you're like, okay, well, what, what about that angle? Yeah. What about this one? Let's try that. And putting it down, it you know, sometimes it's it's like you got a weird like heroin addiction, right? It's like you got to just pick it back up and get another bump. Yeah, yeah I mean, not, you see this all the time easy. with Instagram. People are too much on their stories and they're trying to share everything. And you're like, put the camera down and enjoy what it is that you're doing. Yeah, that balance is not easy. Yeah. It, it, because then after a while, you start to say, well, what the hell are we doing this for? Exactly. Like I could just be, you know, like I'm doing this because I want to see the world. Yep. Let's talk about drones. I've never... I've never touched one. I've never used one. I don't know anything about it. Can you tell us the story of your drone getting confiscated by a corrupt <laughs> Nicaraguan government? Oh, uh, that was fun. <laughs> um, so 
That was a big mistake on my part because I just did not look at the rules or I didn't find, you know, everything's online nowadays for the most part. Drones are tough when you're traveling because different countries have different rules and everything is, you know, everything is online to a degree where like they will say you can bring a drone into this country if you have X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean that the people at customs are abiding by the rules and they're going to confiscate your drone. There's a, for some reason, I think it's because the visual on the x-ray, you can see a drone. They found it's an easy way to get money out of people. So um, when I came into Nicaragua, there was actually a huge stack of drones sitting behind the counter. It was pretty funny, actually. And I was like, yep, everyone's got their drone confiscated. Now, Nicaragua doesn't allow you to have drones in. But at the same time, you see people flying them when you're there. Nobody cares. Like, it's, it's a, I don't know what... It's a weird policy issue. But going through the airport, they basically pulled me aside. They said, we have to take this. Uh, and we're just like, and what's going to happen? And they're like, you come back after your trip and we get and you can get it back. And they kind of kicked us out of the airport at that point. It's like, all right, I don't know if I'm going to get my drone back. But uh, we definitely came back to the airport. Like, I think it was a week later, two weeks later. I don't remember how long that trip was. But uh, we had a little piece of paper. We went to the office. They spoke zero English. We used our broken Spanish to try and get the drone back. And they tried to charge me half the value of the drone to get it back. Rachel told them it was worth $40. So we paid $20 and left. <laughs> <laughs> your wife, is, you, you, your wife understood how to say $40 yeah, in Spanish. We got that through. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so what about Ecuador, where you had to pay 95% of the value just to get it in? So... They actually didn't even see that I had a drone. So there's no issues. But basically, the rule in Ecuador is that, yeah, if the drone is $500 or more, you pay 95% of the value to get it in the country. It's crazy. Even on vacation? Yep. It, they consider it a like professional... I, I don't know. They say it's a professional piece of equipment, but you could walk in there with a $30,000 camera and they won't charge you a thing. It blows me away. So the drone is separate from the camera. Yep. That's so weird. Okay, so so the the lesson is go online and see what the the local corrupt government is going to be charging yep. you. Go online if you're going to travel. Yeah, just make sure to see what the policy is for the country. But do a little bit more digging beyond that. Go in like forums and see what people's experiences were going in and out of a country because. The policy is one thing. The experience is going to be completely different. You know, I don't have a lot of experience like I, like I alluded to with drones, but here's what I can tell you. I've had, I've had two, two experiences. One is I live in a high rise here in Buckhead in Atlanta. Okay. The guy who lived upstairs was a big shot celebrity usher. We used to have this drone that would like try and like, you know, get into his apartment, <laughs> you know, and, and look at him. So it was always like, you know, it, it was always weird That's to have that around. <laughs> it was creepy. And then the second one was when we were in Mykonos last year, my wife's, you know, lying on the beach in a bikini and there's like a drone over her. Huh. So the, the videos that you can get from these things are incredible. Oh, they're amazing. But do you ever find that, you know, it's just weird to be piloting this thing over people. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's the thing. It's how you use a drone. So uh, the people that are flying over like a beach are not flying the drone properly. Like you shouldn't be flying over people like that. You shouldn't be creeping on people. 
And you see this all the time when you're traveling. People will put up a drone and they'll just sit there because they don't know. They're not very good at flying. And they just kind of like are fumbling with the controller trying to figure it out. And it's just sitting there making a ton of racket and just annoying everyone. And that's something like I always tell people is if you're going to fly a drone when you're traveling, find a location that's not full of people. Find somewhere that's off the beaten path. Make sure you're not going to be annoying people. And then when you take it up, like fly it out and fly it far away right away. I mean, I we were just up in... Uh, we were, when we were in Italy, uh, I was traveling with another Instagrammer and both of us were flying our drone. We... You know, we were in like a crowded area, but we found a little spot off to the side. We took our drones off and took off over the water as soon as possible. So nobody even heard it. They heard it for maybe 10 seconds. And it's just how you use the drone when you're traveling is going to like, it's, you know, it's, you got to be conscious of what's around you is what it comes down to. So I'm going to ask you some stupid rookie questions here. Do, do the things ever run out of gas? Just <laughs> uh, fall out. I like how how are these things po- po- uh, powered? So up? generally, the they they have a battery, and the battery lasts anywhere from ten to twenty thirty minutes, depending on the model that you have. And then around, you can have it set up so that like around thirty percent, the drone will automatically just turn around and come home. Mm, that's how it. Works. So okay. there's a lot of settings nowadays that basically assist you so it's not going to fall out of the sky. Now it's not to say that it's not going to fall out of the sky because I've definitely heard of it happening. There's just, you know, it's a it's a very advanced piece of equipment and things go wrong. When I first started flying drones, it was probably two years ago or three years. I don't even know anymore. I flew the original drone that I was flying. You had to like build the gimbal onto it and you just didn't have all these like safety precautions. I, I definitely crashed like three of them before I was like, all right, I, I get how to do this. <laughs> Do they, when they crash, do they break apart or are they built of something that keeps them? Uh, they break apart. They're plastic. If they fall out of the sky, they're done. Does it come with a camera? Uh, yeah, the new ones do. So, like, if you're going to get a drone, you've got to get a DJI drone. That's the one that's the, the, they're the company that's making the best ones. And they, out of the box, you'll start flying and you'll be able to get awesome footage. Would that be the Maverick Air? Yeah. So, I fly the Mavic Air. That is the newest one that they have. So it's basically a small drone. It could literally fit into your pocket if you want to. It's that small. But it folds out and you have a 4K camera on there. You can take some awesome photos with it. It's the perfect drone for travel, I would say. If you're a more professional filmmaker or photographer and you want better quality and more ability in post-production to edit the footage, then you would get something bigger like a Phantom or an Inspire. But for just everyday drone like if you're just wanting to pick up a drone start flying and get into it the mavic air is a great place to start how much is it eight hundred dollars i think is the package and then or for the drone and then if you want to get the fly more package it's like 1200 and that comes with batteries it comes with like everything extra it's basically a, an entire package ready to go you don't need anything else. Right, this interview has already cost me four thousand dollars <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm having my wife call you yeah right this. Um, I have a a weird question I want to ask you, and that is, what's the trick to capturing a sunset? Because we do a lot of beach destinations. Yep. I can never get a good shot with a sunset. Sunsets are tough because you have a big glowing ball in your shot. <laughs> so to to get a sunset, I think I actually, I don't think I have a video of this on my YouTube, but I was planning to make one soon. So there's a few things to think about when you're shooting a sunset is look at the area around where it is that you're shooting and 
try to maybe find something that is not directly in the sunset to photograph because you just want that time of day. You want the sun low in the sky. You want the colors. And the issue a lot of times that people have when they shoot a sunset is they put the sun right in the middle of the frame and it just is not a good photo. So the key to good sunsets is not always have the sun in your frame. And if you do, maybe it's obscured by some clouds. Clouds are amazing for sunsets. If you have like a cool pattern in the sky with clouds, you get some of the coolest photos with sunsets. Just a, a blank sky is not the prettiest thing. It's like a blank canvas. Okay. Why do you like to take pictures of food? Why do you think that's a good idea? Food gives your audience an opportunity to experience some of the culture. Food is a major part of our lives. So when you travel and you take photos of food, you get to show a different culture. Let's move into the rapid fire round of the show. You can answer these as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's basically a first thing that comes to your mind kind of thing. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Probably that I have a lot of ideas. What's the one thing you're afraid of right now? Getting stuck in a foreign country. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Filmmaking. Just get better at it as a whole. What's the one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? (laughs) Uh, I have a few stuffed animals laying around that I should probably throw out. (laughs) What's the one app on your phone other than Instagram that you can't live without? Probably my YouTube. (laughs) What's the best advice for your 20-year-old self? Uh, Create a ton of content. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, it could be on anything that you like to do or anything that you have a passion for at all, what would it be? Uh, Probably to take a step back and experience life. We are going to end on that. That was beautiful. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? If anybody is interested in anything we talked about in terms of the filmmaking, the gear, I know that we talked a little bit about gear on this. I am always open to having conversations with people and helping you out in any way possible. So reach out to me on Instagram, YouTube, and I'm happy to just go through conversations about anything, photo, video, travel, anything that you are interested in. Awesome. I'm going to link everything up in the show notes so they know how to get a hold of you. And uh, I explained that more in detail in our intro. So I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today. This was an awesome conversation. Awesome. I'm glad uh, you invited me on the show. I had fun. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. (laughs) 